All right, well, I am your resident preacher for today. This normally isn't my wheelhouse, um, but I've been looking forward to doing this for a while, um, just sharing with you guys um, some of what I've been learning, and, you know, this is a journey I don't have it all figured out, and I never will have it all figured out, but I just want to take some time and look at some things and parts of Scripture to help us explain, you know, what worship is to God, what that looks like, and how God sees us worship. So let's go ahead and let's open with a word of prayer. Father God, uh, I ask that you help uh, me to speak uh, clearly, that you speak through me, God, and that uh, you just help us today to learn together what it means to worship you and what that looks like, God. Uh, I pray that you would be with us today and uh, help us to apply what we learn today to our lives and to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let me start with a blanket statement. Uh, Worship is very hard to describe because there isn't a 100% concise statement in the Bible that encompasses all of worship. So what we're going to do today is kind of look at the offerings of Leviticus along with other places in Scripture to help us to talk about worship and try to gain some understanding about what the Bible says about worship. I also want to acknowledge that uh, there are several different denominational backgrounds presented here at Polaris, and I think that's a beautiful thing. I grew up with a smorgasbord of different denominational backgrounds, so I've seen a lot of different uh, things in worship, and worship looks different in all these different communities and all these different denominations, and I think that's really cool, but I also want to just take a look at what the Bible says about worship and just... Uh, see worship from God's eyes and just take it from there. So first, let's talk about what the offering looked like, what, our, what worship looked like in the Old Testament. In many ways, the offering described in Leviticus is a strange, scary, uh, sometimes cruel-sounding ritual. But in a strange, mysterious way, what we do today in our worship and offerings has the same kind of attitude and a very similar heart behind it. So worship, the heart behind it, hasn't changed in thousands upon thousands of years. So here's the deal. You've got several different types of offerings in Leviticus. You've got the burn offering. You've got the grain offering. You've got the guilt offering, the sin offering. And you have the fellowship offering. And those are all described in the first several chapters of Leviticus. And uh, these offerings... They all served a different ritualistic purpose, but they all had one main thing in common, and that is that it took a great deal of effort and a great deal of personal sacrifice to present these offerings. In all these offerings, the worshiper was required to do sometimes the most undesirable and really gross things. Um, Four out of five of the offerings in Leviticus described, they involve an animal. And so the worshiper brings a highly valuable animal, a spotless animal, that's pure, that's, that's spotless and without defect. And back then, an animal wasn't like a pet. You didn't have a cow named Fluffy hanging out with you. This was an animal that was very important because you could get a lot of income from an animal, specifically one that's spotless. This is one that you would use such as, like, like, think of it as a work vehicle. You get a lot of use out of it because an animal, you can 
you know, used for the milk or used for the wool. There's just a lot of uh, animals were important back then. And so what you do is you bring this animal to the, to the temple. You present it before the priests and before the Lord. And then you take this prized possession that's very valuable to you and you strangle this animal and kill it. And then you clean it and then you chop it up into tiny pieces. Like I said, personal effort, personal sacrifice, really hard work, sometimes scary. And this was a big deal back then. So when you're done killing this animal, you give it to the priest, and then the priests take over. And then the priests, depending on the offering, do something else. Do some other things that are kind of just scary and gross, like the, they would dip their finger into the blood, sprinkle it around the altar. It's just a lot of work and a lot of scary-sounding stuff. And like I said, personal effort, personal sacrifice. So after the priests are done with that, they take the uh, sacrifice. And let's look what happens next. We'll take a look at Leviticus 3, verse 5. Then Aaron's sons are to burn it on the altar, on top of the burnt offering that is on the burning wood, as an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. So while you burn that stuff, the smoke and the aroma that it gives off is said to be a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So let's uh, move on to the next type of offering in Leviticus, and this doesn't include animal sacrifice. Um, It's the grain offering. But it is comparable, though, because the grain offering, it also required the worshiper to bring something of value before the Lord. It was highly valuable. So let's take a look at Leviticus 2, verses 1 through 2. When someone brings a grain offering to the Lord, his offering is to be of fine flour. He is to pour oil on it, put incense on it, and take it to Aaron's sons, the priests. The priest shall take a handful of the fine flour and oil together with all the incense and burn this as a memorial portion on the altar, an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Notice that, an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. So that's another similarity there. It's highly valuable, and the aroma that it puts off is pleasing to the Lord. So offerings in the Old Testament... They were messy. They required something of value. And they took a lot of personal effort and personal sacrifice. But in the end, as the smoke filled the temple, the Bible says that God is pleased by the aroma that that offering brings. So let's move on and let's talk about offerings from the perspective of a father. That's one of the ways that I like to look at it because God is our father and we are his children. So, I am uh, blessed to be a new father, relatively new father. I have an 18-month-old son named Sam. Some of you know him, and I think he's the cutest kid in the world. I'm biased, obviously, but I think my son is cuter than yours, and I'll fight you on that. Um, I love my son so much. I'd give anything for him, and obviously. And when I come home from work, I stick my key into the front door, and right when I start rattling the the key on the front door because our keyhole is all junky. 
So I'm sitting there rattling my keys, and I hear my son on the other side of the door stand up, and he's like, ah? And I can hear him coming to the front door. You know, he's thinking, Dada's home. He's not talking yet, but I can speak baby. And uh, I know he's excited that I'm coming home. And, you know, I got a video of what happens next. So watch how cute my kid is, and I'll be right back. Yeah, that's uh, that's the highlight of my day. I oh man, I love that kid. So I think this is a uh, it's a beautiful thing to look at this because God values this type of relationship with us. We are His children, and He longs for that type of a relationship when we repro- when we approach our Father in worship. And we run to him with open arms, holding nothing back, because he is so great and mighty and good to us, and we love him. He's our father. He's everything to us. And God values that type of genuine, wholehearted, childlike worship from us. Let me show you another video clip of my cute kid. (laughs) That's how you eat a grilled cheese sandwich. Okay. Everything is interesting when your kid's doing it for the first time, isn't it, parents? I'm the dad with the camera filming everything, even if it's a snot for the first night he knows. I'm like, oh, we got to get this on camera, you know? And you're probably asking yourself, what does that have to do with worship at all? Let me tell you. A couple of minutes after I stopped recording that video, uh, I'm sitting there and Sammy's eating this nasty 20-minute-old dried-up grilled cheese sandwich. Yet it's soggy from all the slobbers, you know, you saw it. And so he's sitting there eating it, and I'm sitting next to him, and he looks up at me and he goes, eh? (laughs) You know, wanting me to take a bite, offering it to me, and I'm like, oh no, am I going to have to do this? (laughs) So, you know, I, I do the parent thing. I take the sandwich, and I'm like, oh, mmm. You know, I play it up, rub my belly. And I, you know, you kind of act like you're eating it, but, but you know, I, I didn't. <laughs> but it was a beautiful thing because I knew that he valued that grilled cheese sandwich a lot because he kept on munching down after I acted like I ate it. Um, that is a beautiful thing because it was something of value. And he was so sweet and genuine and innocent, not knowing that the sandwich itself was a little undesirable. But it was valuable to him, and he was offering it to me. It's kind of like our offerings and tithes and worship and singing and so forth, because God is so great to us. He deserves everything we have to give and more. And, you know, our singing might be a little bit out of key. I know mine is a lot of times. We might not have huge monetary offerings, but that doesn't matter to God. God doesn't need all of that. He doesn't need anything from us. But it's the act and it's the sacrifice behind the gift that blesses his heart. He doesn't need it, but he longs for it. And he requires it. 
And it blesses his heart when he sees us realize, God, no kidding, you have given me so much, infinitely more than I can imagine. So I'm going to respond to your grace, and I'm going to give you my best offering. I'm going to give you my heart, all that I am, something of value. I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself. It's not what you have required. You search much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. That song, uh, that's a song that we sing here at Polaris called The Heart of Worship. So the concept of worship hasn't changed ever in thousands and thousands of years. In Leviticus and other places in the Old Testament, God wanted us to bring our best, something of value. He wanted it to require personal effort and personal sacrifice. And we see that a huge part of understanding that is looking at how children interact with their parents when they run to their parents with reckless abandonment, holding nothing back as if to say, God, I want to be in your arms. I want to worship you with everything that I have. And we also see it as when, we, when children offer things to their parents. Maybe it's a grilled cheese sandwich or something, and it might not seem like much. But to the parent, it's something highly valuable because it's the heart and the sacrifice behind the gift that the parent values, and also it's the heart and the sacrifice behind our gifts. That's what God values. And that's what God appreciates. So, as I said before, worship is a mysterious thing. It's hard to describe. But there are several parts in Scripture that help us illustrate, or that help us uh, look at and illustrate the different acts of worship. So let's look at some examples, and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll start to realize and learn what God appreciates about worship. And I don't want to spend too much time on this first one, but I do want to mention it. One of the many things that pleases God and that we see throughout Scripture is the lifting of hands in worship. And I'm not saying that everyone has to lift hands in worship. I'm just saying that that is one thing that God does value. And it's a biblical and valid thing in worship. I think if we think back to the video of Sam when, I, when I'm coming in the door and he's running to me like this, you know, with his arms up to me. I think that's a beautiful illustration of how we can see when someone lifts their hands in worship and says, God, I want to be in your arms of love. You've done so many amazing things for me. And I just want us to kind of be open to that. And maybe if someone else is worshiping with their hands lifted, that's what we can realize, that they are worshiping God and they want to be in the arms of the Father. Let's look at a Bible verse here. Psalm 63, verses 6 through 4. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift my hands. Also in the New Testament, 1 Timothy 2, verse 8. I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. So the lifting of hands is a very biblical and a very valid way to worship. It's a beautiful expression of how we long to be in the arms of our Father. And honestly, if you feel led to lift your hands, if you feel led, there are probably some people who don't, and that's fine. But there are probably some people who feel led to lift their hands in worship. And I just want to encourage you to go ahead and do so. Because even if it's a little uncomfortable for a while, 
That doesn't mean that God isn't pleased by that worship. Besides, as we learned a couple of seconds ago, worship and offerings will require a great deal of personal effort and personal sacrifice, and maybe a sacrifice of comfort. And once again, I'm not saying that you have to lift hands. I'm just saying that that is one valid expression among other things, among other postures in the Bible, such as clapping or bowing, that is a biblical, valid way to worship God. So let's move on to something else. Let's move on to Psalm 51, verse 15 through 17. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. David got it. He understood. A broken heart, a contrite spirit. When we look at how great God is, and we realize how broken and desperately we need God, We bow down and we worship Him. We fall down and we're hurting and we realize that God is our source. And we run to Him with a broken and contrite heart. I'll tell you a little story. Uh, A little over a year ago, life was looking kind of scary in the Fife household, income-wise. It was looking like uh, we were going to lose our one sole source of income. As I'm the... uh, I'm I'm blessed, and I'm able to provide for my son and my wife. My wife is a stay-at-home mom, and she works inside the home. I've got to say that, or I will get a black eye from the stay-at-home moms. I appreciate you guys, and I've done the stay-at-home dad thing a couple of days, and I don't know how you do it. (laughs) Woo! It's it's tough. Um, So anyway, it was scary. There were days and weeks where we had a four- or five-month-old son pretty much a newborn. And it was looking like, I don't know where my income was going to come from if, you know, things were, it was just getting a little scarier. I got a new baby. I got a wife. Things were so scary. And I know some of you can relate because some of you have had your jobs in jeopardy and some of you have lost your jobs. And that is a scary thing. So anyway, in the middle of all that craziness, my dad comes up to visit and we're sitting there. He takes me out to Winking Lizard. It's just me and him. And I'm sitting there pouring my heart out to him. I'm scared. I don't know what to do. Dad, I, I've got a five-month-old at home. I'm a new parent. Me and Mac are both new parents, and we're just scared. And my dad, seeing me broken, teary-eyed, and scared for my life and for providing for my family... My father says, Marcus, if you need to come home and live with us, you can stay as long as you need to. Just bring the family and stay with us. He didn't say, oh, I'll I'll try to give you a couple of bucks to help you through. He offered his home to a four-month-old child who wakes up every four hours. You know what that, parents, you know how that is. He was offering his home. It was a beautiful thing. And I didn't get along with my father growing up. And here's this man who I'm growing increasingly fond of and amazed by, offering his home to me. I lost it. I I cried because my father 
had offered his home up to me because I sat down with him with a broken heart and a broken and contrite spirit. And he loves me and he offered his home to me. And that was a beautiful thing. And I think we can see that illustration as when we come before the Father with a broken heart and a broken contrite spirit. Because the truth is we all have a broken heart and a contrite spirit. We are all in need of a Savior. We just have to realize it. God wants us to realize that we have a broken heart and a broken and contrite spirit. And we need to lay our brokenness before God and ask God to continue to guide and protect and lead us as we go throughout life. Because we cannot do life on our own. It's the theme of Leviticus. We need the Lord. We need to offer everything we have and ask God to guide us. And when we lay our hearts, our broken hearts, and our contrite spirits out before God in worship, God is pleased. In addition to brokenness and declaring our need for a Savior, God also longs for us to worship Him throughout the troubles and trials in life, for us to praise Him with joy in our hearts throughout the trials and troubles of life. In the middle of the book of Acts, Paul and his friend Silas were preaching the gospel in the land. They're preaching Jesus. And the Romans didn't like that very much. So they arrested them. And they beat them without mercy. A Roman beating is terrible. There are so many painful afflictions that a Roman beating causes. And you don't want any part of that. So they arrest Paul and Silas. They take them to prison. And they put them in the stocks. You know what the stocks are? The two slabs of wood with holes for your arms and your head. So you're sitting there. Paul and Silas are sitting there in the stocks in prison after being beaten. And let's look at what happens next. Acts 25, or Acts 16, verse 25 through 26. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. Paul and Silas. Hours before, they had just been beaten mercilessly. And they're in the stocks in prison. And here they are singing praises to God, hymns to the Lord in worship, and amazing things happen. After all that craziness happened, the Roman guard who's watching Paul and Silas is worried that they're going to escape. So he takes out his sword, and he's getting ready to commit suicide because his bosses are going to kill him anyway if they get away. So Paul and Silas say, no, no, we're still here. And because of this miracle, seeing Paul and Silas worshiping God from the stocks, And then seeing the power of God shaking that prison and knocking the chains loose, the foundation. God moved in a powerful way. And because of what that Roman guard saw, he gave his life to God. He gave his life to Jesus that night. Something amazing happens when we sing prayers and we sing songs to God. Through the good and the bad times, God moves in the midst of our singing. Where two or more are gathered, God is there. Chains are broken, 
Sin is defeated and lives are changed. I'll tell you another story. I didn't always follow Christ with my life. And when I was 15 years old, I had already done my share of partying and rebellion. So one day, my sister comes out of her bedroom with uh, a bag full of substances. I won't say what those substances were, but she comes out of her room and turns for the bathroom. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, okay, what's she doing with all that stuff? So I get up, and I go into the bathroom to see what she's doing. And she's getting ready to pour all of her stash down the toilet. And I'm sitting there seeing this happen, and I'm like, where are the cops? You know, because I'm like, are we trying to get rid of stuff? And she says, I'm trying to change my life. And in the next couple of weeks, she did change her life. I saw an amazing change happen in her life. So after a couple of weeks, my sister invites me to church. So I go, expecting the usual church experience. We get there, and it is looking pretty typical. There's, you know, suits and ties, everybody looking very respectable. And, you know, here I am, kind of jaded against this sort of thing. And so I'm like, okay, let's get this over with. So I find the people who look most like me and sit down. And then the worship service starts. And all of a sudden, I hear some of the most passionate and heartfelt worship. People singing to God as loud as they can, clapping and lifting their hands and connecting with someone that I knew I had to meet. They were connecting with the one true God. And the presence of God filled that place. So much so that I literally fell to my knees. And it wasn't because, oh, you know, we're singing, I should kneel down. It was like, bam, I could not stand. Benny Hinn style, boom. Don't go like, don't take me from endorsing. I'm not endorsing Benny Hinn. Just, just hear me out. I couldn't stand the power of God was so amazing in that place. And I sat there with my head on the pew in front of me and just sobbed through the rest of the songs. Through the power and the presence of God, ushered in by people singing and connecting with His heart, I was convicted of my sin and how I was living my life. And that happened because people were giving their all to God no matter where they were in life. There were probably some people in that congregation who had failing marriages. There were probably people there who were losing their jobs. There were probably people there who were in a, an abusive relationship. And there were probably there, people there who were on cloud nine, having a great time in life. But the fact is, I saw a group of people connecting with the one true God, and I felt His presence. I gave my life to God that day, and I've been following Jesus ever since. Now, it's not the answer always. The answer, it's not always the answer to bring someone to church, to bring them to God. Sometimes it takes a great deal of, of personal discipleship, one-on-one -on -one with that person, before they follow Christ. But in this case, I didn't need to hear the gospel spoken to me. I just saw it and heard it being sang to God. And I saw how God was changing lives. And I felt the Holy Spirit 
in a powerful way. I was that Roman guard who saw people giving their all in worship. And I felt the mercy and power and the presence of God, and I gave my life to Him. I was that Roman guard who saw some people who were probably in the stocks, who were in prison, and some people who were on cloud nine. There were a great deal of people there, and they were all worshiping God, holding nothing back. And I gave my life to Him. The presence of God is so powerful. And as long as there are people on this earth giving their all something of value with personal effort and personal sacrifice, God will be there. In the Old Testament, the valuable object was the sacrifice of pure animals without defect, something of value, something that mattered. Then later on in the Gospels, God provided a pure and spotless sacrifice through Jesus Christ. And now we don't have to come before the Lord and killing animals and sacrificing things. We can give God our heart because that's what God really wanted in the first place. We can please God by lifting our hands in worship. We can please Him by realizing our need for Him and loving Him like a child running to the arms of their father. We can worship Him with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, laying our souls out before Him and declaring our need for Him. And we can usher in the presence of God by gathering together as one body and singing praises and worship to Him no matter if we're on cloud nine from a great week or if we're like Paul and Silas in the stocks in prison. I want to close with one more scripture. It's 2 Chronicles 5, verse 13 through 14. The trumpeters... And singers joined in unison, as with one voice, to give praise and thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, they raised their voices in praise to the Lord and sang, He is good. His love endures forever. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. We see in Leviticus and in other places in the Old Testament, such as the uh, verse we just read, of smoke symbolizing the interaction between God and man. Our offerings and worship are lifted up, symbolized as smoke rising up to the Lord in worship. And it's a pleasing aroma to God. And also, the presence of God is symbolized by smoke filling the temple. It's a beautiful illustration. And what we're going to do now is we are going to light some incense. And we're going to see the smoke rising up to God. And that's going to symbolize our worship. If I can get this thing lit. And as the smoke fills the temple, we're going to see that as God's presence filling this place.